everyone. Thanks for joining us online today. A quick announcement before we get into today's message. Uh, next week, Thursday, October 29th, is Trick or Treat here in Richland. Uh, every year we do an outreach to our community on that night. Uh, just a reminder that this year we won't be serving pizza at the church because of COVID restrictions, but we will still be handing out candy on the corner. And so if you'd like, we can help out in two different ways with that. Uh, first off, you can drop off candy anytime in the airlock at the church. And secondly, you can show up Thursday night at 5 o'clock uh, to help set up. And then around 6 o'clock, we'll be handing out candy. And that should only take to about 8 o'clock Thursday night. So if you want to help out with that, uh, please drop off some candy or come out next Thursday night to get involved with that. So anyway, this morning, we're continuing in our, our Growing Up series, and we have a, a really important day coming up in a, a little over a week. Right? I'm sure you've all heard that November 3rd is a, a really important day, and it's, of course, National Sandwich Day. So make sure you have your plan to get to M's, get a grinder, maybe get a, a big sub to share with someone you love, uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. Actually, it is National Sandwich Day. I just saw that on Google the other day. Uh, but November 3rd is actually a, a big day for another reason, of course. It's Election Day here in the U.S., and it's a presidential election year, so uh, it's a big election. And uh, I, I just thought as we're going through this Growing Up series and, and with the election coming up, uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about how as Christians, what our perspective on politics should be. And now, don't worry, this isn't going to be about vote for this candidate or don't vote for this candidate. And this isn't even really going to be about any specific political issue today. This is simply about overall, in general, what should be our perspective on, on politics? What should be its place in our life as Christians, because we know that we live in a, a culture right now that is obsessed with politics. I was having a, a conversation with a guy a, a week ago, and uh, we were just talking about the Bible, and, and we were talking about Israel and its place in the Bible, its place in the world. And uh, as we were talking, we came to this conclusion that neither of us really know much about what is going on in Israel on on a day-to-day -day basis, like, like what's happening in Israel this week. And it's not just Israel, it's, it's like that with a lot of countries in our world, because if you turn on the news, if you look at our media, it's almost entirely right now about American politics. And uh, that's not a, a statement one way or the other about what our, our media is covering, it, it's just to illustrate how much our culture is consumed with politics. And we as Christians can easily get, get drug into that and, and be consumed with politics our, ourselves. Uh, I know for myself, it's, it's easy for me to get really caught up into it and, and get frustrated and, and angry or, or get <laughs> fired up about uh, my political positions and, and opinions, which uh, I won't be sharing any of my political opinions with you uh, today. But it's easy for us to just get consumed with this and get caught up 
in this. And uh, I was reading a few weeks ago, I've been reading through uh, the book of 1 Samuel, and, and I was reading 1 Samuel 8, and as I read through that and thought about that, God really challenged me with what is the place of, of politics in my life and in my mind and, and in my heart as a follower of Jesus? What should my perspective be uh, on politics in, in general? And so I, I want to share that with you this morning. I want to share First Samuel chapter 8 with you this morning and, and challenge you to think about our politics do they have their proper place in your life? Do you, do you have a proper perspective on them with, within a, a biblical worldview and a biblical scheme of what God is doing? And so anyway, if you have a, a Bible and you, you want to open up to 1 Samuel 8, that's where we'll be most of the day today. Uh, but, but before we dig into that and get into that, uh, I want to give you a little background on the nation of Israel, kind of set up where we're at in 1 Samuel 8. And uh, many of you probably know this stuff, so it'll, it'll be a review for you, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, because we, we have to understand the background of the nation of Israel before we can understand where they're at here in 1 Samuel 8. So the nation of Israel, it, it was started when God selected a group of people. God selects a group of people and he, he says, you, uh, people of Israel, you are going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And God really never explains to us why he selects the people of Israel. He, he just does. And he says, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And at the beginning of the book of Exodus in the, in the Bible, we see Israel as slaves in Egypt. They're, they're trapped in slavery in the country of Egypt. And God steps in, and, and God delivers them out of slavery in Egypt, and then they, they go wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And while they're wandering around in the wilderness, God teaches them a lot about who He is, but God also gives them a lot of instructions. When, when you get to the promised land, when you get to the country that I'm giving you, when you become a nation in a country, this is how you're going to function. This is how you're going to run your nation, your country. And God wanted Israel to be a, a theocratic country. Uh, that means that rather than have a king, uh, rather than really have any major form of human government, that God was to be their king, God was to be their ruler, and they were simply to follow the rules and the laws that God set out for them. And if you read through Exodus and, and Leviticus and uh, some of those other books at the beginning of the Bible, you see God very clearly lays out a set of moral laws and civil laws and, and rules and laws of worship for Israel to say, this is how you can be a country, how, how God can be your king and, and your ruler and you can follow him and, and live as a nation following God. And now, now don't worry uh, my point here this morning isn't going to be that we need to throw off American democracy and become a Christian theocracy in the U.S. today. That, that's not my point. I'm just setting up for you where Israel is at, who they were supposed to be. And so God takes them from the wilderness and takes them and puts them in the promised land, gives them this land, this country, and, and they become this nation. And they're supposed to follow these rules and these laws that God has set up for them. 
But you see all throughout the history of Israel that they really struggle to do that. They don't often do that well. They, they don't often follow God as king very well. And you can look at the book of, of Judges. And in the book of Judges, you see this cycle in the nation of Israel. Things start to go poorly for the nation of Israel. And God raises up a judge. He raises up a man or, or a woman to be a leader over Israel. And they deliver Israel from their enemies. They, they start to set some things right internally in the nation of Israel. Start to turn the nation back to God. And then that judge dies. And the people kind of slowly drift back away from God. And things in Israel start to get bad again. And then God raises up another judge. And you just see this cycle all throughout Judges that, that things go poorly for a while and then things go, go better for a while and then things kind of go downhill for a while. And just what Israel is doing, it isn't really working for them. They, they can't seem to get this right. And we get to the book of 1 Samuel. And in the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, uh, we see that there's a guy by the name of Eli. He's the high priest. He's also sort of the, the leader of Israel at that time. And Eli's a, a decent enough guy, a decent enough leader. But his sons turn out to be really terrible guys. And you can read in the beginning of 1 Samuel the things that Eli's sons do. They're, they're terrible people. And so they can't take over for Eli after Eli dies. A, a guy by the name of Samuel takes over after Eli dies. The guy that the book of First and Second Samuel are named after. Right? Samuel becomes the leader, and, and Samuel's a pretty good leader of Israel. But that brings us to chapter 8 in 1 Samuel. And look what's happening and what's going to happen in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel 8, starting at verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abinajah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So, kind of just like Eli's sons, Samuel's sons are not really good guys either. And the elders of Israel, they, they see this, and finally something kind of clicks in the elders of Israel, and, and they finally have this realization, what we've been doing for generations just isn't working. We need some kind of change as a nation. We, we need to do something differently. We've been going through this repeated cycle of, of things are better for a while and things are worse and better and, and worse. And we just keep flowing through this cycle. We've got to do something different. And I, I want to first off commend the elders of Israel here for having the self-awareness to realize what we're doing isn't working. We need to make a change. We need to do something different. And this is a lesson for us at times as individuals, at times as a church, at times as a country. We need to be able to step back and have the self-awareness to realize what I'm doing isn't working. I need to change some things. And that's really what Doug 
Pastor Doug challenged us with a couple weeks ago, right? If you heard his message a couple weeks ago, he challenged us to, to get away and to step away and to spend some time with God and, and to gain some perspective and, and reevaluate our values and, and reassess what we're doing and see, is there a change that we need to make? And I commend the elders of Israel here for, for realizing and being self-aware that a change needs to be made. And I want to challenge you, as, as Pastor Doug challenged you a couple weeks ago, if you didn't do it a couple weeks ago, get out, get away, gain some perspective. Uh, that's why I love going to camp and, and going to Momentum Youth Conference in the summer. Uh, even going as a, an adult, as a, a leader, it still impacts me, and, and one of the biggest impacts is simply just that I get away from my normal life for a week or two, right? I break away from my normal habits and routines for a week or two, and, and I'm in this, this Jesus-saturated environment, and it gives me an opportunity just to reflect and say, what, what am I doing that's working and, and not working, and, and where do I need to make a change? And so maybe we need to examine that in our own lives. Maybe at times as a church, we need to stop and examine that. At, at, at times as a country, we need to stop and examine that and, and see that maybe at times some things aren't working and, and we need to change some things. And that's a hard thing to do. And, and again, I commend the elders of Israel seeing that and realizing that and doing that. But that's the end of my praise of the elders of Israel because the next question then is, okay, we, we need to make a change, so what, what change are we going to make? And this is where the elders of Israel make a mistake. And we're going to see that as we go on. Look at verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And so they see we, we need to make this change. And the change that they want to make is, is Samuel. They say we, we need a king. All the other nations, all the other countries around us, they have a king. We need a king as well. And we're going to see this is not going to be a good decision. And as you, if you read through the rest of, of the books of Samuel and into the, the books of Kings, you, you see this is not a good decision. And, and they fall prey to this trap of, let's look at what everybody else is doing. All the other nations, they have a, a king. We need to be like them. And, and they fall prey to peer pressure, basically. Right? They, they look at all the other nations and say, man, things are really good in these other nations. We got to do what they're doing. And, and they fall prey to thinking the grass is greener on the other side. Right? I'm sure you've heard that phrase before, right? The, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And, and they look at these other nations and they think, man, things are going really well for them. We need to do what they're doing. And this should be a warning for us as, as we think about maybe we need to, to change some things and to do some things differently be careful what we're looking for when we look for change. Again, whether that's as individuals, as a church, as, as a country, 
we need to be careful what we're looking at when we look at for changes. Right? We warn our kids, and, and I'm sure you were warned as a kid, peer pressure is dangerous. Don't fall prey to peer pressure. Right? It, it, it's not always greener on the other side. And I'm sure if you have kids, you, you've warned them about that too. Well, Johnny isn't wearing his helmet when he rides his bike, but you don't have to do what Johnny does. If, if Johnny jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? Right? Maybe you've told that to your kids. But even as adults, peer pressure is something that can affect us and, and affect our decision making as well. Envy of other people can affect and, and can distort our decision making as well. And, and this is something that God really challenged me with and, and taught me some stuff about even just a couple years ago. That I was at this point in my life and I'm looking around at some guys around me and I'm going, man, these guys around me, they, they really have it good. I, man, I, they, they got the life. I, I want to be like them and, and have what they have. But then God offered me the opportunity to, to keep looking and see a little deeper into their life and see that if you look beyond the surface, if you look a little deeper there's some things that they have in their life that, man, I don't really want in my life. Their life wasn't really as good as it maybe looked uh, from a quick glance on the surface. And, and God had to teach me, uh, you need to be careful who you're looking at as examples. And, and this is especially true in our age of social media. We, we look at stuff on Facebook, we look at stuff on Instagram, and, and we look at people's carefully caricatured, uh, carefully manicured image, and we think, man, we, I gotta be like them, I wanna be like them, when really if we saw sometimes what was beneath the surface, what their decisions were really doing in their life, we wouldn't wanna be like them. And so as we look to make changes as we think about what do we want to do, be careful who you're looking to as an example. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, first of all, be imitators of me. Paul, Paul says, imitate me. And so it's not always wrong to look to other people's examples and, and to follow somebody else's example. But we have to keep in mind what Paul says in the second half of that verse. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That as we look to other people's examples, we need to make sure that they're following Jesus if we're going to follow their example. As we maybe even look to, to other groups to say, man, look, look at what that church is doing. Or look at what that group is doing we need to make sure that are they actually following Christ? Is that an ex actually an example that I, I want to follow? And the nation of Israel, the elders of Israel here didn't do that. These nations that they wanted to follow were ungodly nations, but they said it, it looks better what they're doing, so let's do that. And again, I, I warn you this morning, 
let's not get caught up in, in peer pressure. Not, let's not get caught up in envy of other people. Let's make sure that we're following Christ. And if we're looking to somebody else's example, that they're following Christ. And we're following their example as they follow Christ. And so we need to be careful of the changes that we want to make. So the, the elders here, they say, let's get a king. We need a king. A, a king will fix all our problems. A king will make us a, a great nation and, and fix all our issues. But look down at verse 10. Look at what Samuel warns them about with the king. This is 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. The Samuel says to them, a, a king is not going to work out how you think he is. Right? A, a king maybe will, will help you with some of your issues and some of your problems, but a king is going to bring a whole host of other problems as well. He's going to take your sons and, and make them part of his army. He's, he's going to take your, your young women and make them work in his household. He's going to take your property. He's going to tax you. He's going to put you to work in building his projects for his glory. A king is not going to solve your problems. It's not going to work out how you think it is, guys. God's going to let you have a king if you want it, but it, it's not going to work out how you think. And this is really what God struck me with in, in thinking about politics and in the place of politics in our life, the realization that a, a king is not going to fix what's broken. A king is not going to fix what's broken in our lives, what's broken in our church maybe, what's broken in our country. Right? A, a king is not going to fix that. A politician is not going to fix that. If, if we're looking to the government, if we're looking to a politician as our savior to fix everything that's broken, it's not going to happen. And, and I don't care whether Trump gets in office or Biden gets in, in office, right? whoever wins the local elections, no man or woman is going to fix everything that's broken. They cannot be our savior. Right? No church leader is going to fix everything, every issue in a church. 
there's always going to be struggles and problems and brokenness. No individual, including ourself, is going to fix everything that's broken in our individual life. And the big lesson here today is if we are looking to someone else to fix us, it's not going to work out. On an individual level, if we're we're looking to a spouse, if we're looking to a friend, if if we're even looking to a, a, a pastor or an elder to fix everything in our life that's broken, it that's not the answer. They can't fix, we, we can't fix what's broken in ourselves. We can't be our own savior. And now in, in saying all of this, that, that's not to say that individuals can't make a difference in our life. And none of this is to say that politics and government isn't important. Government definitely has its place. Right? Jesus, when he was on this earth, he, he didn't overthrow the Roman government. He, even though they were uh, a pretty terrible, ungodly government at that time, Jesus doesn't overthrow them. Right? When he's given the opportunity to, to lash out at his government and to complain about taxes, which everybody hates taxes. Right? So in Mark 12, there's a group of people that go to Jesus and say, Jesus, should we pay these taxes? Taxes are terrible. Right? We don't want to pay them. And what is Jesus' response in Mark 12? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and, and give to God what is God's. That, that there's a, a place and a role for government in, in our lives and in our country. Right? Peter and Paul tell us to be subject to civil authorities. The civil authorities, civil governments have a, a role in maintaining peace and, and order. Right? They have a purpose. Uh, if you want to look that up, Paul talks about that in Romans 13. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter 2. The word obey civil authorities, that, that they have a role in a place. Uh, so, so my point isn't that we just abandon politics and and hide in a, a cave or, or hide our heads from this stuff and, and not be involved and, and engage. Right? I'll tell you, be informed. Right? Know what candidate you're voting for. Know why you're voting for them and then go and vote. Right? Be engaged, be involved, be informed. But my challenge for us this morning is to have the proper perspective. Have the proper perspective when we look to politics. That politics is not going to be the salvation of our country, the salvation of our world, the salvation of our life. And on a a more individual basis, no person, including ourselves, is going to be the salvation of our life, is going to fix everything that's broken in our life. Right? Pastors, church elders are, are extremely important. They make a big difference in a church. But having a great pastor and a great elder it, it isn't just going to make everything perfect in your church. Having a, a great spouse, having great friends, having godly people in your 
life is going to make a big difference in your life, but it's not going to fix everything that's broken in your heart and in your life. We can't put that on somebody else. Samuel said to the elders of Israel, a king is not going to fix what's broken in the nation of Israel. And why is that? Why is a king not going to fix it? Look at verse, verses 7 and 8 of 1 Samuel 8. It says there, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. See, a king wasn't going to fix their problem because the main problem in Israel wasn't leadership. The main problem in Israel were that the individual hearts of the people were not surrendered to God. Look at what it says in Judges 17, verse 6. And just turn there real quick. This is a little bit before 1 Samuel, but the same issues are going on in Judges that are happening in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And here's the thing. It says there was no king in Israel. And there, there was no earthly king in Israel. But there was supposed to be a king in Israel. Right? Remember I mentioned that earlier. There was supposed to be a king. God was supposed to be their king. But they weren't following God as their king. Everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. The problem wasn't necessarily leadership. The problem was the individual hearts of the people were not surrendered to Jesus as their king. And the problem with the brokenness and the, the pain in our life, in our churches, in our country, right? some of that is leadership, but not all of that is leadership. A lot of it is that we as individuals need to make Jesus the king of our lives. We need to surrender and follow Jesus as individuals. To do the things that Jesus calls us to do in the Bible, we need to realize that Jesus is the cure to our brokenness. As individuals, we need Jesus' forgiveness for our sins, for our wrongs. We, we need His healing and we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's what this, this whole Growing Up series has been about. Let God work in your life. Let God change you. Let God help you mature into a better Christian and a better follower of Him. That's what's really going to fix the brokenness and really going to change things in your individual life. And when we as individuals surrender to Jesus and start following Jesus and serving Jesus, that's going to change our church. And when we as churches start surrendering and following Jesus and getting out as individuals, as churches, and serving in our community and telling people in our community about Jesus, that starts to change our communities. That starts to change our country. What we need is as individuals to be surrendered to Jesus as our King. To be loving Him and following Him. 
and to help other people see that Jesus can be the answer to their personal, individual brokenness. It's not about a person fixing them and saving them. It's not about a government fixing what's broken. It's about Jesus fixing us as individuals and our individual brokenness and us sharing that hope with other people. And so we need some change. We, we need some things to be different. But it starts with us looking to Jesus. Us not looking to the world's examples and the world's answers, but us looking to godly examples. Imitate those who imitate Christ. How are we doing as individuals loving and serving Jesus? Right? Politics has its place. Government has its place. It, like I said earlier, it's important to be informed and, and to go out and, and vote and participate in, in our democratic system. But if we let that consume us and let that be our focus and, and let political change be the thing that we're after rather than spiritual change, then we're missing the real cure to our brokenness in Jesus Christ. And so I, I challenge you to, to think about just what the place of politics is in your life, what, what perspective you have on that, what importance you're placing on that. And more generally speaking, what, what importance are you placing on any individual in your life? Are you making that individual or, or some group your savior rather than looking to Jesus as your savior? And telling other people that Jesus can be their savior and their healer and their hope as well. Let me pray for us. Lord God, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord God, we thank you that you are our savior. Lord, we, we know that we're flawed human beings. That everyone else in our, our world is flawed human beings, Lord God. And Father, we thank you for godly people that you put in our life and the difference they can make in our life. But uh, let us not make them our Savior. Let us not make politicians our Savior. Let us make you our Savior. Help us to allow you to be the change and the difference in our life. And help us to go share that difference with other people so that they can see the hope and the change that you can bring as well, Lord God. Father, and I do pray for uh, this election coming up, and I pray for your will to be done. Lord, I pray that you would raise up wise leaders uh, to lead our country and to do what's best for us and, and what most glorifies you. Lord God, I just pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.